Welcome to the first episode of Got Your Six, Lads Advice Encounters with me, Gav Topley and friends. Men account for a large proportion of suicides in the UK, with 2020 figures showing 75% of those who took their own lives were men. The issue is complex, but during the COVID-19 pandemic and resulting lockdowns, I, along with my good friends Charlie Kerry Pickering and Steve Hughes, became concerned about the effects of long-term social isolation on men's mental health. We established Lads Advice as a private Facebook group, a place for men who might struggle to access support, to do so without fear of judgment and to find a sense of community. We currently sit at nearly 5,500 members and have raised nearly £12,000 of our current target, £20,000 for papyrus suicide prevention. As a group, we pride ourselves on our diversity and in this podcast we'll speak to a wide range of guests on topics that we hope will be of interest to members and to anyone interested in modern life, well-being, mental health and the human condition. In this first episode, I speak about my own background and experiences, from growing up in a post-industrial mining town to the army, to working in the youth justice system and my current research at Cambridge University. All of this tied into the conversation with Charlie and Steve that led to the group's conception and creation. The audio in this episode was kindly made available to us from a previous podcast on which I was a guest, chatting with Chandy. It was Chandy's interview that led to our members suggesting a Lads Advice podcast ought to be created. And with the donation of a Blue Yeti from Blue Microphones secured by Harry Jackson, the deal was closed. So in many ways, chatting with Chandy is our parent podcast. So thanks, Chandy, and please do go and check him out. I'm Gav. Uh, I grew up in a place called Warsaw, which is a sort of post-industrial mining town uh, near Mansfield in Nottinghamshire. Um, I left school at 16, went and, and did falconry for a bit up in North Yorkshire, training birds of prey. Enjoyed that for a while, but it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. Uh, the pay was pretty poor. It was in the middle of nowhere. I didn't drive, so I was sort of 16, 17, stuck in the middle of, of North Yorkshire with one pub, a riding school, and nothing else for, for miles and miles. So ended up coming home, got home and thought, yeah, I've left home. I can't be doing this. I need to, I need to work something out here and, and get into work and get out of home. So with fairly limited imagination, went and looked for jobs working with animals. Uh, I found a job as a vet tech in the army. So I ended up joining the army uh, very much to work with animals, not to join the army. <laughs> uh, uh, and then sort of went through all the basic training, which is soldiering, but only really realized I was in the army properly when I got sent out to Kosovo um, as, as the vet tech there. Did the, the minimum amount of time. I ended up down in London with the, with the King's Troopers there, vet tech. When I left the army, off the, off the back of something that happened in London, I ended up working in social care, so with young people with emotional behavioural difficulties uh, and working in a unit um, down in Torquay. So it was for young people who got extreme behavioural problems and therefore it was quite difficult for social services to find them a placement. From there, I ended up working in a secure unit for young offenders and at-risk children, um, the Atkins unit down next to. Brilliant work that was being done there, but it, it is intense, so I sort of get a bit of burnout. Took a break from that, ended up as a street fundraiser. So you know the people who pester you in the street to sign up to charities that you, you sort of try and look down the void if you can. I was doing that. Uh, and the plan was to do it for a month, but I ended up as, as team leader within a week and then senior team leader within probably about a month. So I was traveling around the, the, the country teaching fundraisers communication skills and how best to, to approach their fundraising. Uh, then I got sent to Australia to help launch a campaign out there. And so it kind of ran away with me a little bit, but I got back and that the, the company that we were working for had folded in the UK. And I'd always thought about going to uni, um, but as I say, back at, back at home, none of my friends had gone to uni, none of my family had gone to uni. 
didn't really seem like much of an option. So I was sort of tentatively exploring it. I hadn't got A-levels or anything like that. Um, so I went up to, I'd come back to Bournemouth because the, the plan had been, had the company not folded to set up a fundraising team there. So I went up to Bournemouth Uni and, uh, and got talking to the program leader for BACOM, uh, the communication and media degree, uh, a lady called Helen. And we talked about what I've been doing and, and the crossover uh, in terms of skill and, and knowledge sets for that course. And she said, oh, write a really good personal statement and I'll think about it. I'll see if we can give you a, give you a shot, take a chance on you. So I did. And then in due course, I got an email that said, thanks for your application. Go and do some A-levels, will you? So I replied to that and said, that's a bit disappointing. Uh, obviously, I, I spoke with Helen. She said if her personal statement was good, I'd get a place. Uh, she'd take a chance. So could you please offer some feedback on the personal statement? About half an hour later, we got an email saying, oh, I spoke to Helen. She loves your personal statement. She remembers you now. We've made it uh, an unconditional offer. So that sort of changed my route entirely. I ended up at, at, uh, at Bournemouth doing back on. When I was at Bournemouth, I had a mate. This is probably a longer-winded answer than you needed, but <laughs> I had a mate who was at, he was at AUB, and he dropped out in the first year. And he spent the whole time I was doing my degree in Thailand, taking groups of students on gap years, partying and, and seeing like wildlife and beautiful beaches. And I spent a lot of my degree looking at his profile, thinking, am I making the right decision here? <laughs> it seems like he's having a lot better time than me. So um, when I finished my degree, there was a travel company that were putting on an offer. The first 49 people to get to their store in Birmingham or London would get a return ticket to Thailand for, for um, 49 quid. So I paid my way. I'd got an essay. I got the essay in as quick as I could. I got to London. They'd already got 49 people in the queue. I got on the train and went to Birmingham, and I made it there in time to be one of those people. So we camped out in the street overnight, waiting for the shop to open, and got that ticket. So I ended up uh, out in Thailand for a bit. And my intention was to then go over to Vietnam and teach English. However, on my way to Thailand, I got hand wash. Before COVID happened and I got very proficient at using hand wash, <laughs> I was a bit of a novice and I put the hand wash in my bag next to my passport and it leaked. So the passport smudged, but they let me into, they let me leave Heathrow, they let me into Thailand, they let me into Cambodia and back. So I thought I'd be fine. When I came to start this teaching job in Vietnam, I landed in Hanoi and they turned me around at the border and said that they couldn't let me in because the passport was damaged. So I get returned to Thailand. And when I get to Thailand, they're like, oh, what's going on? You've got no stamp in your passport. Why? Oh, they wouldn't let me in. Why not? Oh, they said that the passport's too damaged. Uh, follow me. Sign this paper in Thai. I said, I'm not going to sign that paper. It's in Thai. I've got no idea what it says. Don't worry about signing the paper. We're, we're going to take you to the room. So they take me around these sort of back corridors of the, of the airport. And we end up at what? looks like a little office space there's a door and a little desk and we go in they close the door behind us and then there's another big metal door they open that door they say go on in and they close it behind and i'm in this great big room with about what 30 or 40 other people and it turns out it's an immigration detention center <laughs> so i end up spending a week in this immigration detention center in in thailand sort of surrounded by bed bugs and cockroaches and eating god awful food before eventually the british consul comes and gets me out and gets me returned to the UK. Eventually, I end up back out in, in Asia and do some teaching in Vietnam. But I've decided that I want to do graduate entry medicine, but still uh, a little bit conscious of my background, educational background. I thought I'll try, I'll try and get a master's first to give me a bit of a, a leg up in terms of at least getting to interview. So I applied and got into, well, I got, I got offers in, in all my choices. I ended up going to Leeds University to do a 
an interdisciplinary master's degree in, in childhood studies. So that was a, a bit of an interesting year because I worked full time. I did a 50 hour week on average working with young people in social care and then a full time degree alongside that. While I was doing that, I became aware of, of a narrative around young people joining the army at 16. And there was a lot of resistance to that by academics who were saying that the age ought to be raised to 18. And it became clear from reading what was being written about this, that there was it was a very theoretical understanding from people from a different social class, the people they were talking about, who had no experiential knowledge of the army or the way that it works. And that's fine, but it was being sold as advocacy. And there was no, if you like, voice of the child in that conversation. So they were being spoken about rather than being spoken on behalf of or to. Uh, and that didn't sit very well. So in the end, my master dissertation was on that. And we explored that. And it became clear that, you know, this is knowledge that we that we need to have in, in a much more broader sense. And I wanted to continue with that research. So in the end, I managed to to get the contact within the army to get me to give me the access to the Army Foundation College up in, in Harrogate, where they train their 16 year olds and decided to do a PhD. And since I tried my look at Bournemouth with no A-levels and got in, I thought I'd try my look at Cambridge for the, for the PhD, put the application, went to visit, put the application in and got accepted. So that's where we're at. Now I'm at Cambridge in a PhD and it's, it's looking at using the voice of children to identify areas of push and pull in terms of structural inequality for, for working class young men in, in post-industrial Britain. So when I spoke to these young lads in the army, such a high percentage of them said to me, well, if I weren't in the army, I'd be dead or in prison or on drugs. And it's quite overwhelming the number of young men that said that. Uh, it, it was quite surprising, really, to hear. Um, and so what I ended up wanting to do is, is do a, a comparative study. So looked at the situation of young men who are in the youth justice system and talk to them and find out what's going on for them and, and how they see you know, their life course, where it's been, where it's going and why and then talk to the young lads in the army to try and work out really what we can do to support young men from disadvantaged backgrounds or disadvantaged towns into better opportunity, um, better access to, to skill sets that are going to enable them to support themselves well, uh, and, and better mental health as well as a, as a, as a byproduct. And how far into your PhD are you at the moment? So it's been a bit set back by COVID. I'm, I'm second year, but we've not started yet on the, the sort of primary data collection. That's due to start pretty soon when we go back into well when uni kicks off there is there is no real holiday of a phd but when university picks up again pace in sort of september or october then i'm, I'm hoping to start the, the field work then and so let's talk about what made you decide to create uh, the facebook group lads advice what inspired um you to, to do this yeah so i think it's multifactorial there's there are issues around around mental health and specifically male mental health that we're that we're aware of anyway. <clears throat> that was exasperated during COVID, um, and I think we there were there were headlines that we were at a twenty year high in terms of in terms of suicide and poor mental health anyway. Uh, and and that you know already two thirds of, of suicides are men, uh, and that was on the rise for younger men as well. Sort of exasperated perhaps by things like the lockdowns and and, and the lack of social engagement that was happening. Um, and also uh, close personal and sort of removed personal experience as well. So I've had two friends uh, take their own lives, one of whom was was in the military um, and took his own life on a, on a tour, another friend who hung himself when he was at university, and then uh, also a friend's, a friend's brother who took his own life. So it's quite close to home 
you know, and that's just the, just off the top of my head, people that I know who have been affected by these issues. And also through the conversations that I've been having around my research topic and with, with young men about boundaries to, to good mental health and, and so also the way in which society started to be less connected uh, and what impact that has on mental health. I felt that there was a real space for, for something like this that was needed, that was not so much sold as a mental health space because the aim of the group was really not to target people who were already accessing services particularly. It was to target people who might find it difficult to talk or might find it difficult to access services who might be really struggling that might find it even more difficult the social isolation that was happening as a, as a result of the lockdown so i guess that's where it started also one of my one of my good friends i'm actually up in here in in manchester visiting him at the moment had said that he that he wanted to do something that was that was good and that could support and help people and he was bouncing ideas uh, and we were talking around what we could do and this is one of the ideas that we thought might be really useful one of the other admins is is a young lad who's in the army and he previously tried to set up a similar group so when i discussed my idea with him he was really enthusiastic uh, but he set it up as a support group. He called it Helping Hand, and it was sort of a picture of a style out of some mud going out of a field, and it was very much geared towards, you're having a terrible time, let's support you. Uh, and that model didn't work. His friends, a couple of friends joined, and then, it, and then it fell flat. So we sort of employed a quite different model. It was more a fun space for, for, for young men to be able to just go and chat, share their experiences, uh, and have a bit of a laugh without any judgment and to signpost or, i guess if they need that support exactly that yeah so in that in that space what what happened is people come into the space because it's a bit of a laugh and then they realize there are people there that are sharing experiences or asking for support and overwhelming an overwhelming amount of support happens and it's done without judgment and and it, and, and it becomes a space where then by some people being brave and leading by example others have come forward and done the same so yeah we offer sort of in the first instance, it is peer support. And then if, if it's needed, then we also signpost and refer on to, on to other agencies so that people can get more specialist support. And it really is a massive range of, of stuff that, 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 that happens within the group from a young lad who felt like he was never going to get a job. He'd been trying for about 18 months and couldn't get employment. And another guy who's a recently qualified teacher who sat down with him on a Zoom call and went through, went through his CV he applied for a job and he got the next job that he applied for. So really sort of low levels to for another lad that uh, similar to, I was explaining about my sort of academic background. He really wants to do A-levels, but none of his family have done A-levels. He wasn't even aware that he could not do it at his, you know, any other establishment apart from his school. And he felt like he'd sort of come to it a bit late and therefore he might not get on the course. So we sort of supported him with practical ideas about, you know, what his options were. And he wrote a really lovely letter to his teacher sort of saying, I might not be the most academic person on the course, but I promise you, you give me a place, I'll work my arse off and, I, and I'll, I'll work really hard for you. And off the back, I introduced him to a head of sixth form that, that uh, is in the group who's down in London. And I introduced him to a couple of, of the undergrads at, at my university who were doing similar courses. And it just really encouraged him that it was something that was available to him. And this whole idea of sort of someone like me, I think is quite important. And so off the back of that, he now pops up all the time asking for bits of advice. He's got himself a job at McDonald's. He passed his, his, sorry, his GCSEs. He's got onto A-levels. And it's just that having a group of people around you that are supportive and that are sort of encouraging you to take steps that you might not be aware you need to take to get where you're going. And then the, 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 sort of the, the, the more sort of deep and serious side is we've had a probably, over, we've been around now for about 13 months. And in that time, we've had about 14 
young men who, in my experience of, of working with you know young people in crisis, um, I would say were at the point of crisis and had the means and intent to take their own life and, and would have made a realistic attempt at it had they not had the option to post in the group. And in all of those cases, we've been able to sort of make an intervention ranging from where it's been a young person in the army, making the army aware that the sort of the duty sergeant at the time and then and then getting them to refer into the support that's available there. That's happened both with soldiers that are in the UK and overseas. Um, or if not, then informing the emergency services and getting the police to come out and do a and do a welfare check, you know, and in any cases that has led to the person who's posted them being taken to hospital and, and being re being referred on services from there to get the support to 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 feel better. So yeah, it's a real range of stuff that goes on from just a place where lads can lift up other friends' achievements. Oh, this guy's passed his driving test first time, or that guy's got these A-level results, right the way through to people who are suffering sort of more complex stuff. You know, we've got a fair few people on the group who have bipolar disorder, and people post that have just been recently diagnosed. What do you find works for you? How are you finding engaging with services? And it's that support and someone to bounce those ideas off. Another a young lad who was in the army and he was gay, and he wasn't sure about, you know, should he tell people at work? And overwhelming support and and that's that's it's quite heartwarming because there are uh, somehow the groups ends up probably 50 percent military 50 percent civilian and it's a really interesting mix and how that interacts with each other there was a there was a gent who came on and said oh look you know i've been really enjoying the support of the group it's really refreshing and heartwarming to come on the group and see people supporting each other but there's two things i need to, to ask you about because first of all i'm a bit older i'm 50 and second of all i'm gay and is that a problem and Obviously, during his sort of formative years, for him and his peer group, it had been a problem. Uh, and, and I think, you know, yeah, I've spoken to him since, and he found it really valuable that there were probably 200 comments of people saying, absolutely not, you know, why would it be a problem? Welcome to the group. You know, it, it's good to have you here. And that sort of, that, that sort of affirmation and, and positive reinforcement and feedback, I think he found really useful. So, and you might not, you know, if you were to stereotype, knowing it's a group that's half the guys in there are soldiers, you might not expect that response. So I think it is a sign of sort of societal progression as well as people's ability to be good in a space where it's safe to be good. Another friend said his uncle's on there, and I won't use the, the term that he used, but he said that he's not the nicest of people on the rest of the internet in the way that he interacts and the things that he says. <laughs> but he's come on the group and has been really, really lovely and shared a lot of personal stuff that he hadn't even shared with that family member. And again, it's just because I think in that space, it feels safe to do so. And it is, in many ways, the sort of the expectations around masculinity in society that, that I think can lead to a lot of the issues that, that men and particularly young men face. And, and in a way, the group removes some of that pressure and normalizes a space where it's okay to speak and seek help and not be judged. And it's okay to support your friend and big up their achievements. And, it, and it's going to be met with positivity rather than sort of the sort of negativity that you might find elsewhere on the internet. And I know that this is. Uh... We've talked about the importance of men's mental health there and, and why it's important for this group to be solely for, for guys to be open and to be honest and kind of like peer support. For you as a as a as a as a as your time in the army and stuff like that has taken an impact on your mental health. Do you think there's still a lot of stigma around men talking about how they're feeling? In wider society, I think for sure. Uh, and I think it's very evident in two ways. First of all, the sort of example I just gave of the, of the, of the guy that acts very differently outside of the group. And secondly, in the way that the sort of the pacing and leading within the group happens, people come into the group 
and they sit back and they watch and they sort of suss out what's going on for a bit before they then get involved. And that's some of the other feedback that I get from people by direct message saying, I haven't commented, but I found it really refreshing to see the way people interact. And I found it really useful to see the support and the feedback other people have got. And that feeds into my own situation. And I got a message from a, from a young man, and I'm paraphrasing because obviously we're, we're speaking by video chat, so I can't get the message up, but it was, it was along the lines of, as a young black man, I'm taught that I need to be strong, not show vulnerability, uh, and not share my feelings. And it's been really refreshing and helpful to me to have this space where I'm supported to be able to do that, and it's normal and okay to do those things. Uh, and I've been really struggling with some mental health stuff. And honestly, this group of strangers has helped me more than any of my friends or family have been able to, because I don't feel that I can share what's going on with those people. And I think that is another thing in, 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 in that space that largely you're talking to people that you might have interacted with in the group, but they're not in your day-to-day -day life. And so therefore it's, it's less of a risk to make yourself vulnerable. And then ultimately, if, if, if you don't still feel comfortable doing that, there's the option to submit posts anonymously. So the admins can see who's submitted it just because, you know, we don't want it to be abused. Uh, and that's the way that Facebook has set it up. But it means you can seek advice and you can reply to the comments that are given still without uh, giving away your identity, um, which I think is, is sort of a, another useful sidestep. So I've kind of not quite answered your question, I guess. Uh, I think absolutely there is, there is still stigma. It's starting to improve with, with people speaking about it. But it's quite slow, isn't it? And I think often in, in society with issues that we face, we talk about it before there's any real change. So whilst we're saying we're all here to support each other and it's, and it's totally fine to talk about your mental health, in reality, in day-to-day -day life, when someone then shares that, what happens? Uh, do they feel safe doing so? I don't think we're there yet. And I think that's probably the, the space that the group aims to fill. And to finish, if you could say anything to, to any person who finds it hard to talk about how they might be feeling or maybe has no one that they feel they can talk to, what would you say? It'd be quite easy to be cliche, wouldn't it? You know, this is a problem shared, problem half type approach, but it really is when you build things up in your own mind, you only have one perspective and that perspective then can become quite, uh, quite focused and, and quite distant from, from the reality of it. And that's not to trivialize or minimize any problems that someone might be having. But what I've found from speaking to lads in the group is that when you then share that problem with someone, usually their response surprises you. Usually, if not always, it's not a negative response. And just the act of having that conversation can make you start to feel better. And then if it is something that you know there are solutions to and, and it can be solution-focused, that other person's perspective can really help you to work out to put into perspective what's going on for you and to work out a way forward. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Got Your Six, Lab Device Encounters with me, Gav Topley and friends. There'll be a new episode every Sunday, but for iTunes users, there might be a slight delay. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends, but suggestions and comments are welcome. And you can connect with us via Facebook. The Facebook group is Lads Advice, on Lads underscore Advice on Instagram, or on advice underscore lads on Twitter. You can also email us ladsadvice at hotmail.com with questions, comments, or guest suggestions. And if you want to support our fundraising, you can do so at www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Chaz and Gab smash Kelly.